Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're looking at 2 Corinthians. We've gone through 1 Corinthians. We're not going to review any of that 1 Corinthians, although it's all, all the recordings are up and available for those people who want to study 1 Corinthians at preparingyou.com. And a lot of side notes. And there's so much that we could actually tell you or remind you or point out that there just isn't enough time to address during these reviews of the that particular epistle to the Corinthians. We set the scenes of what was going on in Corinth and everything, but just the basics of the gospel. So many people assume that they understand the basics of the gospel. They believe in Jesus. They believe in God. But do they? You know, the prominent uh, personality that has been going around the Internet for now several years, which is Jordan Peterson, is always asked, that does he believe in God? And he, he talks about it. The assumption that you believe in God, that you are following Christ, is, is too vain for him to actually say. He says, I, I live as if I believed in God. And what he's saying... I believe what he's saying, I don't speak for him, but what he's saying is that that he is striving to live the life of someone who believes in God. Because he, I believe he wants to believe in God. He wants to believe that he believes in God. But he's not going to be so audacious as to say that he does, but he professes his belief by the way in which he lives. And that really is a very Christian approach because we were to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We were to pursue it. Uh, we were to be followers of Christ. Followers of the way of Christ. That's what Christianity was called. The way it wasn't called Christianity until Antioch. And we make reference to this on our page that is daily ministration at Preparing You, and you can go there, and there's lots of links to other articles that will explain many of the things that we talk about. Uh, it begins with the idea that the conflict between Jesus and those who had been controlling the activities within the temple in Jerusalem were evident from the his presence there. So what was the conflict? It's actually the same conflict that we do eventually see in the conflict between Christians and Romans because when Herod built that temple, he built it much in a design based on what was also going on in Rome at that time. Rome had been a republic 500 years before. That republic had been decaying over a period of time, great deal of success, great deal of prosperity. Uh, there was uh, climate change at that particular time. There was global warming, which, uh, of course, global warming means more crops are going to be grown in higher elevations and in uh, 
you know, higher up the mountains of the Alps and uh, the different mountain ranges, as well as far north in Germanicus uh, and in Germany where the Teutons lived. And, of course, the Romans were moving up into those areas because it was very prosperous to trade with them because their life was improving because of global warming. (laughs) We're told global warming is bad. And, of course, if it gets too hot, yeah, that would be bad. But global warming actually brought in prosperity because the planet got greener and crops were more successful. Now, there were crop failures in different parts of the world. Africa had had quite a difficult time. But uh, the Romans had defeated the Carthaginians, you know, hundreds of years before. Uh, we read about that when we read Polybius's articles. Uh, one of the things that's going on in America today is that uh, your kids being graduated from high school and from college are all becoming uh, socialists. They, they believe in socialism. They would actually vote for socialists. And we see this going across the board how people who are advocating socialism are winning elections. And people are wondering, like, how, what, isn't socialism bad? Well, you don't know. You, did, you didn't educate your children. You sent your children away to a socialist institution called public education and you thought your kids were learning things like history and all this. They weren't. Uh, I home taught my kids and I, I tell a story about I was on the roof with someone who worked at the local public school fixing his roof and he was talking about uh, the fact that... Uh, Schools were really good now because they didn't waste time teaching kids history. History classes were simply removed. They First they changed them to social studies and they just stopped teaching them history. Your kids are being graduated from high school and know nothing of history. And so they you have doomed your children through your apathy to repeat the mistakes of history because they never learned about history in school. And, you know, we have an article, I just visited it this morning, on schools as tools or schools for fools, uh, whichever one you want to look up. It's at Preparing You. And uh, it it shows how, and this is something I discovered just homeschooling and reading history books that were, you know, 1920 history books, 1945 history books, 1960 history books, 1990 history books which didn't really exist even. They were the social study books. And I saw history changing before my eyes. They just simply removed information from the history books. Many years later, I discovered that this was an actual conspiracy (laughs) that some men thought that we needed not to teach those histories. And of course, you know, this is well documented. It's uh, discovered by uh, an investigative team that was hired by uh, the Congress of the United States and their findings exist. You can you can hear the interviews. We have some of the interviews on preparing you with some of the people that were a part of those investigations. And they simply, some people found it to their advantage or believed it was to their advantage to change the way in which Americans viewed history. And they did it. And they were able to do it because of the apathy of the parents, the apathy of the people. They were more interested in their own success than in the truth. 
and that's why you have the media you have today. You know, we you you can go and you know, supposedly Trump, who's the president of the United States, is trying to secure the borders because all these people are coming across the borders. You know, to the tune of tens of thousands of people are coming across the borders. Some of them are criminals. Some of them are, you know, covetous, uh, want the benefits that they can get in the United States but don't get in their own country. Instead of making their own countries better... They want to come here because there's so many free handouts. And, of course, the certain parties in the government are advocating, oh, free health care for illegal immigrants, but they don't even have free health care for the people in their own citizenry. But they're, they're, they're buying more votes. This is all prophesied by the early founders. It was prophesied by Polybius and Plutarch thousands and thousands of years ago. But you wouldn't know any of that if you didn't know history. And, of course, you don't know history because this idea of changing the way in which Americans viewed history did not start with your children. It started with you. It started before you. It started with your grandparents. Their minds were changed and altered as to their view of what history was all about and what was really going on in history. That is also true of the history of the Bible and the history of what was going on at the time of Jesus Christ. You know, Plutarch and Polybius were hundreds of years before Christ, but they predicted the decline and fall of civilization through socialism. They didn't have the word socialism, but they said through covetous practices, through coveting your neighbor's goods, desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, electing men who can exercise authority one over the other to take away from one class of citizens and distribute to another. This would turn the people into perfect savages and bring in uh, long periods of tyranny and despotism. They were telling us this in history. And we point this out at Preparing You. We show the different you know, statements they made over the years. But most people don't want to hear it. They just want to feel good. They want to feel like they love Jesus. But Jesus was saying these same things. In Matthew 26, 55, we see, In that same hour said Jesus to the multitude, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and ye laid no hold on me. But then they come out to crucify him. And he says the same thing in Mark fourteen forty nine. I was daily with you in the temple. What was he doing in the temple? He was instructing the ministers. He was actually at one point, he was in the royal treasury instructing the ministers of the royal treasury. This is a government building you Remember, the temple is a government building in Judea. The, te- the temple of Mineta was a government building. That was a Roman temple, but that was a government building. They minted coins. That's what they did in that temple. They minted coins. And there were other temples where they provided welfare. And there were other temples where they that operated more like investment brokerages. And people... Put money in the temple to get money back out of the temple like an investment. Uh, This is what those temples were. You don't know that because you don't know history. That part of history was removed because a new kind of religion had been invented. Actually, it started, it wasn't that new, by the way. It was just new in comparison to Christianity. But 
a new kind of Christianity was invented. Let's put it that way. It was an old kind of religion, but it's a new kind of Christianity. And it was that all you had to do is think a thought and you'd be saved and God would love you and protect you and all this stuff if you bowed down to this image of God that we create. And those images actually got into the point of creating statues and stuff like that. But what it is, is any image of God which is manufactured through your imagination or somebody else's imagination and you accept their description of God or Christ or whatever, that's idolatry. And that's what was going on in 300 AD. That's what was going on in 1300. That's what was going on in 1930 in the United States. That religious people, they weren't really religious as in the sense of religion was in the word threskia. They were religious in the sense of the word superstitio. They created an image of God that made you feel good. And church was a place you went to feel good. And they fed you a line about Christianity that was not true. And your parents accepted it, and your grandparents accepted it, and you've accepted it. Well, actually, today, many of the young people don't even go to church because they don't need that. Because they have another religion. Religion? Socialism is the religion you have when you have no religion. And modern Christianity is not a religion in the sense of the Greek word threskia. It is a religion in the sense of the Latin word superstitio. Threskia, pure religion, pure threskia, that, that's the Greek word for religion, is the caring for the needy of society in a righteous way, unspotted by any unrighteous way. And that's what Christ came, and this is why they didn't like him in the temple. He cast out the money changers, which were had become thieves and robbers. The money changers are the porters of the temple. They received the contributions of the people, the sacrifice of the people, and they deposited it in the treasury and in the royal treasury. And then they redistributed those funds when you had need. If you were sick, if you were... Uh, you know, why were all these sick people near the temple? Is because that's where the welfare was handed out. The free bread was handed out at the temple. There were other places, other synagogues would do the same thing. Uh, but they were all, all the synagogues, which is, a synagogue was ten families gathered together. They would form a synagogue. And that synagogue would be connected to the temple created by Herod. Now, all synagogues didn't do that. There were many synagogues that were not connected directly to the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple in Jerusalem was not the only temple built by Herod. Herod also built the Temple of Roma, which was doing the same thing, but had different statues and different images, because they could have statues and images of their gods. But they were doing the same thing. They were providing social welfare. But this form of social welfare was dependent upon forced contributions because these were government temples, government buildings. And when you signed up, you were required to pay in. And they had Gabi, Molokai ministers 
of the temple in Jerusalem that would go out and they would pace off your crops to see how much they were going to get from you. They would count the branches on your Cummins plant in the window at your house. Because that's what people did. They planted it in, you know, window boxes. And that that would produce these branches. And then a portion of those branches had to go to the temple. They had to go to the temple. That was the way in which they collected their Corban. Their sacrifices of the people. It was forced offerings. That system made the word of God to none effect because from the beginning, we see in the Old Testament, you had to take care of the needy of your society through free will offerings. That's what it says in the Old Testament. Free will offerings. That was your Corban. If you don't do it that way, you will not remain free. You'll end up back in the bondage of Egypt. They will set a table with benefits, the wages of unrighteousness, because they're based on forced offerings. That's the basics of the difference between the gospel of the world and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't understand that because you don't know the history around the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know what Herod was doing. You don't know what Rome was doing. You don't know why Polybius said that Rome would produce a people who were perfect savages and bring in despots 150 years, or at least 100 years, before the first emperor, which was Augustus Caesar. They knew this was coming. You didn't know it was coming because you don't know history. You don't know history because you depended on men who exercise authority to provide you with a free education. And you know what a free education is worth? Zero. It's worth what you paid for it. And unfortunately, now you're going to really pay for it because you didn't know that you were not being taught the gospel of Christ. You were being taught the gospel of a fake Christ, a false Christ, a false image of Christ created by modern religion. You think that might get me burned at the stake by saying that? Well, we're going to prove this. So if you if you look at Mark 14:49, he, he was daily in the temple teaching. And like I said, he was actually in the royal treasury. In Luke 19.47, he says uh, that he taught daily in the temple. He's instructing daily in the temple. Why? Because he's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's the highest son of David. We see that right in the text. The people claimed him to be the highest son of David. They didn't lay hands on him because he was so popular. He was the king of Judea. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chiefs of the people sought to destroy him because he was taking the power of government away from them and returning the power of government to the people. But you can't do that unless the people take back the responsibility of the government and the responsibility of providing the services of government through the perfect law of liberty. Through faith, hope, and charity. Not force, fear, and violence. John the Baptist is going to do this through charity. Share. Those that have extra, share with those that don't have enough. And he did it according to the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which Christ commanded his ministers also organize the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And that's the way the early church was. And it was still that way thousand years later. And then... 
another church who did not organize in that way started crowning men to put down anybody who did not submit to this system of Corbin, the forced contributions and redistribution of wealth. And we that's why we have Lady Godiva on the Free Church Report, because she wouldn't go along with that. And she didn't ride through the town naked either. But uh, they don't want you to know what she did. They don't want you to know history. That was written a 100 years after her death that she rode through town naked. And it was written by what? One of those religious monks who wanted the government to take away from the people to provide him with funds so that he could live comfortably. Now, there were church people who were still operating according to faith, hope, and charity. That's the problem. Both are called church. And you can't distinguish between the two because you don't know the gospel. You've got the fake gospel. The false gospel of modern religion that does contrary to the ways of Christ. In Luke twenty-two fifty-three, he says, When I was daily with you in the temple... He stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus knew this was coming. And it's coming again. But the hour of darkness is coming for you because you're, you're involved with false religion. You are in need of repentance the same as the Pharisees were in need of repentance. You need to turn around and do something different than what you presently doing you're going to church and getting a good feeling your filio love is all over the place but you're not following the gospel of christ you're not doing what christ said to do in the early church in the beginning though they worked daily in the temple of jerusalem that's that's what it says they work daily in the temple the home churches say oh we don't need any kind of big church building and they're right and most early Christians met in homes. But the apostles and the 120 that were in the upper room were working daily in one accord in the temple. A government building with a gigantic treasury office. And what were they doing? They were breaking bread from house to house. And did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. What was that? They were sharing the contributions of the people. Remember at Pentecost, they were all cast out. If you got the baptism of Christ, you were cast out of the system that had been set up in the temple. So you had to set up another system that did not operate like the Gabbai and Molokai ministers who were forcing the contributions of the people. You had to operate by faith, open charity, and take care of all the social welfare of your community through pure religion. Some went that way, some went the other way. What way are you going? Come right back and we'll tell you. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, like I said, not only was Jesus daily in the temple instructing the people, even those that were in the royal treasury, he was telling the people to live by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and violence. John the Baptist had said the same thing. The modern Christian... Depends for his free education for his children on forced contributions of his neighbor. Uh, they even borrow money against the future of their children to pay for their education. Is there any wonder that all the student loans out there have put graduating kids from college 
into forty, fifty, sixty, even a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. You, and all that because you don't keep the Sabbath. What? What? Because you don't worship on Saturday. I just read an article this week where some Christian church, so-called Christian church, is now switching from Sunday to to Sabbath, and they think they are righteous because now they're using Sabbath day for worship instead of Sunday. They're still in just as much debt as they ever were. They still have children that are graduating from college in debt. They they are in debt. Their children that are born are in debt uh, because the whole nation is in billions and trillions of dollars worth of debt. But they think they're righteous because they're taking Saturday for their day of worship. They don't even know what worship means. God is not so insecure that he needs... Your praise in order for him to feel good. That's not what worship is. And we have an article upon worship and you can go read that. But that's not going to be our topic. But the reality is your temples now are the Social Security Administration, the Social Insurance, uh, National Social Insurance and other countries, wherever you're at. The same thing is all over the world. The whole world has gone this way. All that. Social Security is Socialism. Public schools is socialism. Federal Reserve is socialism. All these things are socialism. And you're worried about the country becoming a socialist nation? It is. And you are. And your parents are. And your grandparents are. And all because you are not following the true gospel of Christ. You're not living by love. You're living by force. Christ said. Christ, meaning the anointed, the king, said. When he appointed the kingdom to the apostles who were called out to be the new ministers of his kingdom. Because he was going to take his kingdom away from the Pharisees. He was going to give it to these other guys that he called out so that they could bear fruit. Well, they cannot bear fruit unless they're teaching the people how to live by faith, hope, and charity. And that's not what the modern church is doing. It's about tickling your ears and making you feel good and making you feel like you're saved when you're not. They get you to follow a false Christ who the Christ that they tell you about doesn't tell you what Christ told you. The apostles and they continued daily in one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house. In Acts 5.42 it says that daily... And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The real Jesus Christ. Who said you are not to covet your neighbor's goods. Socialism is covetousness. Communism is covetousness. Social democracy is covetousness. The majority of the people covet somebody else's stuff and want that stuff. And want to borrow against their children to get that stuff. And they're not, I don't care what day they gather, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they are in debt. And God doesn't care what day you gather if you are not working first and then earning your day of rest. You didn't earn your day of rest if you borrowed against the future. You don't get a day of rest. You get the mark of the beast, which you already got. (laughs) So So anyway... 
Uh, Luke 22:29 says, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. This is what he's saying to the ministers that he trained up, his disciples, that's student ministers. He's appointing the kingdom. Why did he do that? He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He, to his little flock, his called out group that had to sell everything they had, give it to the poor, and own all things in common, and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and provide the services of a government that operated according to the perfect law of liberty. You're not doing that if you're in the modern church, because they don't ask you to do that. If you need anything, they tell you go to the government. But if you want to be comforted by them, not the Holy Spirit, but them, you come to us. Because we'll tickle your ears and we'll make you feel good about your iniquity. And you can keep being workers of iniquity, coveting your neighbor's goods, but we'll make you feel good about it because we'll tell you that you're saved. Matthew 21.43 Why did Jesus say this? Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. Who's he talking to? Talking to the Pharisees. And given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Jesus did that. Who did he give it to? The little flock. What did the little flock do? They gathered daily in the temple and they rightly divided the bread from house to house in a daily ministration based on free will offerings, based on charity, based on agape, based on love. Christ said love many, many times and using the word agape, when Paul says it, they often translate it charity. You don't even find the word charity in the Old Testament. But you do find the word free will offering. It's the same message in both places. Now, the people who are supposed to be Christians are followers of what Christ said. But if you're coveting your neighbor's goods through the ruler's of other nations through the rulers who exercise authority one over the other the rulers who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority by taking away from your neighbor or borrowing against the future of your children then you're not following Christ because he said you were not to be that way you are not a Christian write it down if your minister says you know all you have to do is believe in Jesus what Jesus is he talking about Because if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in what he said. Because Jesus said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. When did it become the will of the Father for you to covet your neighbor's goods? The Corinthians that Paul was writing already figured that out. They were just now trying to figure out how to implement that in their life. Most of you... Like most, most, I don't know how many people are listening, but I don't know how many people will eventually listen to this because we'll put it out there on the website. We'll put it under Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2 so that you can hear this again. But if you don't understand this, all the times that we were reading the word Lord in First Corinthians, when they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about him being that other king. Peter says, there is this other king, one Jesus. And Peter was doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And we see in the trial of the uh, uh, the seven Christians that they tried in North Africa, 
They said, we pay all the duties and imposts and everything. But we practice private religion is what they're saying. This is how we do it. We gather every week, often in homes, because the the temple eventually was destroyed by this time. And they didn't gather in the temple. The government of God met in the temple daily. But that government operated by faith, hope, and charity. If you want to be a free people, you got to learn what the Christians were doing and follow the ways of Christ. There is no other way but the way of Christ. The problem is most of the people who say they're Christians are following the ways of the Pharisees. They're forcing the contributions of their the, the people in their community so that they can have free education, free health care, free uh, care for my parents. And then they do no more art for their parents, which was the sin of Corbin that was making the word of God didn't none effect. You know, I point this out to the preacher and they say, oh, no, 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 it was something else. I said, what else was it? Because I can show you in history, that's what it was. And that's what we show you. Go read our article on Corbin which is linked on these articles like the Daily Ministration. You you tell me. That's what you're doing. How in the world do you think you're a Christian if you're not doing what Christ said to do? If you really love Christ, you will love to do what Christ said to do. Most of the people who claim to be Christians don't even know what Christ said to do and what Christ said not to do. They are the many who are still workers of iniquity, though they profess Christ. Now, you can change that right now by thinking a different way, by realizing, oh my gosh, we should not be coveting our neighbor's goods. We should not be praying to men who call themselves benefactors, but all they're doing is taking away from our neighbor. We worry about the kids growing up to be socialists. We're socialists now. The people of America, the people of Australia, the people of uh, European Union, even the people in England who want to leave the European Union with their Brexit, they're still socialists. They just they just don't want to get in the deep end of the pool. But they're still bathing in the iniquity of socialism. Now, there are people out there that are starting to put this together. How is it that their minds can see what so many cannot see? Are they woke? (laughs) Most of the people I know who talk about being woke are not woke. They're actually farther into the problem. How do you judge what to think in your mind with your mind? How do you understand the world by eating of the tree of knowledge? You know, recently somebody had done some experiments with psychedelics and they ended up getting themselves into a lot of trouble. And we'd like to help them out. But the reality is, is that as, but they need to repent. Because the idea that you're going to fix things through your cleverness, through your intelligence, through your study, is eating of the tree of knowledge. It's vanity. It is witchcraft. It is pharmaceutica. And... Evil wants to seduce you into thinking that you can fix this. Same in politics. You can fix this. 
Same in, you know, I just read an article uh, this morning, early, on, um, you know, the problem of uh, depression in the United States, all over the world. You can go all over the world and find this problem of depression getting worse and worse. Researchers here, part of it, researchers have found that contrary to pharmaceutical industry claims, commonly prescribed antidepressant drugs such as Prozac's are actually addictive and can wreak havoc with the brain's ability to produce serotonin. From the New Scientist, which is a you know, a credible magazine. It says, after stopping antidepressants, some people get withdrawal symptoms, which can include anxiety, difficulty, sleeping, stomach upset, vivid nightmares, memory and attention problems. These can last for a few weeks or months. Antidepressants like Prozac, and let's not exclude it to Prozac. That's just what I'm just quoting them. Ritalin does the same thing. And and you've put tens of thousands of children on Ritalin. But it has the same effect. And then they have a number of other aluminum-based drugs that uh, they upgrade to when Ritalin's not doing the trick anymore. You are destroying your youth. Not only with public education, but with the drugs that often come and are associated with that public education. And I've I've seen this for years and years and years. I've dealt with people and their parents. You know, the the child ended up having um, seizures. And I, I said, it's the drugs that you're giving him. And uh, they said, no, he only has the seizures when he stops taking the drug on the, you know, the holidays. Yeah, that's called withdrawal. And they're saying after stopping antidepressants, some people get withdrawal symptoms. Well, that's called withdrawal. And they go on antidepressants like Prozac, which are known as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Raise levels of brain signaling molecules called serotonin seemingly by blocking the compound that gets rid of serotonin. See, they're not actually giving you serotonin. They're blocking the compound that gets rid of serotonin. But they say, but after several weeks of taking the medicine, the brain responds by making less serotonin. Which may be why when people stop taking them, they can get long-term withdrawal symptoms. These symptoms can last a year or more. They don't know how long it can go. They know it can go at least a year. That... And they're doing this. Evidence shows that the brain may be unable to return to normal levels of serotonin production for months or in some cases even years after the antidepressants have stopped being taken. Well, of course they're going to give you something that's addictive. There's great money in this. University of Liverpool conducted a study with 1,800 New Zealanders who were prescribed antidepressants, mostly of the Prozac type, and found that more than half of them suffered from psychological symptoms when they stopped taking them. That's that's their study. And so, this is, this was going on, and then the same is true of public education, social security. You're addicted to these things. 
You you can't imagine a society without them. You think you need them. You actually, if you repent and turn around and start thinking, well, wait a minute. If we want a free society, we must operate the society according to the perfect law of liberty. We have to allow other people to think what they want to think. We have to allow other people to say what they want to say. See, you see that in the, the this new wave of socialism, because socialism has been here for over a hundred years. This new wave of socialism, they don't want you even to say things. You know, I mean, because you're you're going to you know trigger somebody. It's it's insane. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I can show you this on all kinds of levels. But so what is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What was Christ really saying we're supposed to be seeking? Where are we supposed to be going with this? The 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 Christians, the early Christians, they were starting to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. Eventually, like in North Africa, they would be persecuted. This was the Christian conflict because they would not join the temple systems that were all falling apart. Socialism, eventually you run out of other people's money. And so they wanted to bring the Christians, who were a successful society operating with free religion. This is why we have the Free Church Report to show you how that could be organized today. But they were still being successful because they were uh, they were surviving the climate change because there was some cooling going on. There were some volcanoes going on. Mount Vesuvius went off. There were earthquakes that were felt all over the Roman Empire. So there were other changes that were starting to take place. And there were crop failures. And so there were dearths in the land. And we see Paul moving funds all over the Roman Empire from Galatia to Corinth to Corinth to Jerusalem and from Ephesus, etc. to help out Christians. And they were successfully doing it because they were a network as commanded by Christ of tens, hundreds, and thousands. They had these ministers who were took on a particular status of coming out of the world but still serving the people, not exercising authority like the rest of the world was doing, but practicing pure religion, taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That spirit is still around, but it's not very well organized Because people don't know how to do it. And they don't know how to do it because they've been given fake good news. Fake gospel. And they need to repent and start seeking the true gospel. The people who recognize these called out ministers of the early church mostly met in homes. That's where the people met. But these people, like I said, they, they weren't even called Christians yet, but they were... Well organized. They would be eventually called Christians, followers of this Christ, and they would run into conflict with the Roman Empire because they wanted to continue to practice pure religion, not like the modern religion today, which is not pure religion. They do not take care of the widows and orphans in any of their society through faith, hope, and charity. They take care of them by praying to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And they think, if I elect the right one, then we will be great again. But no, you you need to change in your heart and your mind and you don't know how to change your heart and your mind if you only use your mind. The ways of the kingdom must be written upon your heart and your mind. That's a spiritual event. That's not going to come through Prozac 
It's not going to come to Lexol. It's not going to come to Ritalin. It's not going to come to mushrooms. It's not going to come to these things. It's going to come spiritually because the Christ, the anointing, will be upon you if you repent and seek the kingdom. You, you're you not going to make it happen. It will happen to you if you turn around your thinking. Now, what what's that look like? Well, you have to be humble. You have to be serving others. You have to be forgiving. You cannot hold animosity for your brother. You must forgive him. You must put your faith in the way of Christ. This perfect law of liberty. You have to let go of your vanity. And realize you cannot save yourself. You can be saved if you surrender yourself to the Spirit of Christ. Who loves you. And wants to give you life. Well how do you know that you really love him? Are you giving life to others? Or are you taking life away from others? Are you depending upon men who exercise authority? Or men who exercise charity and forgiveness? Which which one are you going to be a part of? Are you seeking the kingdom of God. And the righteousness of God. Or the self-righteousness of your own vanity. Do you know the difference between philia love and agape love? Do you know the two different kinds of love? The love that taketh life or the love that giveth life? Do you need the person you love? Do you feel incomplete without the person you love? Or you come together with the person you love because you want to give life to them? Not take life away. Boy, that's that's a question not going to be answered easily. Acts 6.1 And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians, the Greeks, against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Were these the Greeks in Jerusalem? Or were these the Greeks in Corinth? And the Greeks in Acacia. And the Greeks all over what we know as Greece today. What what did Peter do? He said, look out amongst yourselves to find men you trust and we will appoint them over this business. What was that business? Uh, To set tables? Serve pancakes in the morning? Tortillas? Matzah? No. They were establishing a world bank that could operate. This is why Ephesus was so upset with the seven. Because there was another seven in Ephesus. Why seven? Well, we explain that elsewhere. Join the network and we'll explain it to you. But we're not going to just give all the... Well, we do give it out. What we've done is create a forest of information out there. You can go to Preparing You, you can go to hisholychurch.org, you can go to a number of our websites, and you can walk through the forest. It's all there for free. But we want the Spirit of God to be your guide. We don't want to be leading you around telling you what to believe. We give you facts and information, and you have to figure out what to do with it. So, 
we went through First Corinthians, and First Corinthians was scathing, hard-hitting, heavy words of Paul, scolding the Corinthians for a lot of things they did wrong. The second Corinthians is more about love, which we talked about last week. And we started in Second Corinthians where he says, but I determined this with myself that I would not come again to you in heaviness. So this was, as I said, Paul Light. He was going to talk about love more. And he does. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. And of course we see this repeated in uh, Revelations, where as many as I love I also rebuke. And that's what he did. But now... He's going on and talking about this love, which this afternoon I will continue with our sermon on love so you understand the difference. But we're going to go through 2 Corinthians really quick and get into 3 Corinthians so that you can start understanding this gospel. We've set the scene. Now let's play the play. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in 2 Corinthians and we're talking about... uh, some of the things that Paul said and why he said them and what the early church was doing and why Paul is moving from place to place. But we're also going to talk a little bit about how Paul is moving from place to place. How how does he know where to go? And he gives you a little hint of this in Second uh, Corinthians. He, he talks about in verse 5. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrawise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with uh, over much sorrow. Uh, so, you know, the fact is is that somebody was doing things wrong in in First Corinthians, and he was came with heaviness and scolded people and explained those problems. But he's explaining them to people who are actually forming a network of charity to take care of all the social welfare in pure religion. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking to people that go to church to feel good. And feel comfortable. He's talking to people who are actually... Everybody who got the baptism at Pentecost, of the baptism of Christ and the apostles at Pentecost, all those families, thousands of families, were cast out of the social welfare system, the Corbin of the Pharisees, and were no longer going to get benefits for their parents and their grandparents and for the blind, etc. You know, we see that in John where... The blind man is professing Christ after Christ gave him his sight back. 
and they're saying that he needs to be cast out. This guy's been blind since birth. He, he has no skill. He has no way of making a living to ask his parents. And they say, oh, we, we don't want to say. We don't want to say who, who he healed our son because we know that you will cast us out of the welfare system that run through the government of Judea. And we don't want to get cast out. Because we need those benefits. We love the wages of unrighteousness. We, we don't, we'll lose our social security if you cast us out. So we're not going to say. He's old enough to speak for himself. And they let their son get cast out. And Christ goes, looks for the son and brings him into this other system that operates by faith, hope, and charity. Therefore, makes the word of God to effect. Is the system you in, you're in making the word of God to none, to none effect? Or is it making the word of God to effect? Because the system most people are in exercises authority one over the other. And Christ forbid that. He said it wasn't to be that way with us. But it is that way with you. See, all these people, that they, they go around and say, well, that's the civil government. That's separate from the church. Well, yeah, that civil government probably is separate from the church. But there is another king, one Jesus, and that's what the early church was saying. And they were persecuted for saying it. I see a lot of people claiming... That Jesus is Lord, but if they need anything, they don't pray to their Father in Heaven. They pray to their Father in Washington, D.C., or in Sydney, Australia, or in The Hague, or in London. Because that's who's going to give them their benefits. That's who's going to take care of their widows and orphans and needy of their society. But those men exercise authority, and those who are following Christ aren't supposed to be that way. So if you're that way, you're not following Christ and therefore you're not a Christian. You're a fake Christian like the fake good news. Now that's heavy. <laughs> that's not Paul light. That's Paul heavy. So we we need to repent and look at things a little bit different. And so he says, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me. So there are people who are making mistakes. And causing grief amongst their friends and their relatives and they've, they've really screwed up. You haven't caused me grief. I want to forgive you. I want to know how to do it. I know I can't do it without the Christ in me. But if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. You, you may have made mistakes and then other people did bad things to you. Now you need to forgive them. That's how you get forgiveness. That's how you, we talked earlier about serotonin in the mind and how you take these drugs, these pharmaceuticals or these chemicals or these plants or whatever it is that you're taking in order to change yourself from the outside in. But the kingdom of heaven is within you. You need to change within and God will fix the outside, the flesh. And that's the way it works. And you need to understand that and pursue that. But it's an individual journey. The the kingdom of heaven is not found by eating of the tree of knowledge. It is found by being diligent in the ways of Christ. You know, be it says study to show thyself approved. I don't know how many times I've pointed this out. That word there that they translate study actually is the word normally, almost always translated diligent. It doesn't say study. It's not the word for study. 
It's a word for being diligent. Diligent in what? Diligent in forgiveness. Diligent in your quest for righteousness. Not righteousness from others. Social justice warriors are always demanding justice for themselves. They should be demanding mercy for others because that's what they're going to need is mercy, not justice. I don't pray for justice for me. <laughs> I'm a sinner. I don't, I pray for mercy. And that's what you need to be praying for others. And this is what Paul is kind of doing. Paul Light is talking about mercy and he's talking about forgiveness and he's talking about life and death issues. For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ. When he says we, he's talking to those people that are taking care of all the social welfare through faith, hope, and charity. He's not talking to the modern Christian. The modern Christian who does not live by faith, hope, and charity, but still living by force, fear, and violence. Because the modern Christian is the equivalent to the ancient Pharisee. For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ, of the anointing. In them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the Savior of death unto death. And to the other the Savior of life unto life. What is he talking about? Same thing Christ was. Those who lay down their life will pick up their life more abundantly. Those who try to save their life will lose their life. So this is this is what he's talking about. You know, he 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 had no rest in the spirit when he was in. He says, "Furthermore, I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit. So, what door was open? Was it in Troas? No, something showed him another way to go." We're back up into verse 12. I'm jumping around a little bit to take these things so that you walk around them and look at them differently. He had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ in the anointing, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. His internal compass said, leave there and go to Macedonia. Something, he did not feel right about being there. He felt like he had to go somewhere else. And he went that other place. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Christ, the Comforter. And he went another place. How do you do that? How do you know if the spirit you're listening to is of the Holy Spirit? Or if it is of another spirit disguising itself, pretending to be the Holy Spirit? How do you know the gospel? I mean, you go to churches, you hear them preach. You're saved already and all you have to do is think this thought and you believe that. I cannot alter that, what you believe. I have no interest in altering what you believe. I have only interest in professing what God is telling me to profess. And I hope you begin to awaken to the fact that you're not woke. That you've been asleep dreaming a dream that is going to become a nightmare. 
I can only hope that you do that. How do you do that? You have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in you. What are you supposed to be doing? And when it comes to you that, oh, maybe I should do this, but I, I, I'm kind of hesitant to do that because what is in your thought? Fear? Anxiety? Ambition? Vanity? What about forgiveness? Have you forgiven all your brothers and sisters? Have you forgiven your parents? Have you forgiven the Democrats? <laughs> Have you forgiven the Republicans? Have you forgiven the European Union? Have you forgiven whoever in your nation, in the world in which you live? Are you forgiving? Are you walking in forgiveness? Or are you still running out ahead of God and trying to judge others saying, you know better than them? I probably do know better than them, but my focus is what does God want me to know? To the one we are the savior of death unto death and to the other the savior of life unto life. Because some people think we're crazy. And some people think that, you know, that we have the answer. Well, I do not have the answer for you. I seek the answer. I live as if I want to know what God wants me to know. And I want to do what God wants me to do. And I hope and pray that I see clearly the path before me. Do I go to Troas or do I go to Macedonia? There are many times where I see things I would like to do, but I listen to the still small voice that says, no, not yet. Wait. So I wait. Other people don't like it that I wait. They want me to do it now. According to their will. Because they know what's better. No, it doesn't work that way. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Do we speak from the anointing? Are we tending to the weightier matters? Christ said we were to tend to the weightier matters. Yeah, I rebuke a lot of people, but like I said, in Revelations, it tells you, Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent is what? Think a different way. Are you setting the table of the Lord through charity? Or are you not? Are you neglecting the daily ministration? Are you only helping those in your congregation? Oh, I saw a need, so I helped it. You know, I did this because I saw a need. You have a need to cast your bread upon the waters. You have a need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have a need to love those you don't even know. Is your sacrifice of the Corban of the Pharisees? Do you take care of all the needs of the widows and orphans in your network, in your congregation, in the network of congregations? No, I think not. Are you going to live by force or by charity? Which is love. Without the Corban of Christ, can the word of God take effect? See, this is it. The Corban of the Pharisees was predominant in the welfare of the world. 
It was used even in, they had a word for Corbin in the Latin as well. And they had their temples where they forced the contributions of the people. Now, yeah, they, they got a lot of money from abroad, but they also forced the contributions of the people. They took away from the rich a lot of times. That was the big advocate. We don't want to take away from the poor people. They don't have anything anyway. But what happened, the more they took away from the rich to help the poor, or took away from other countries to help the poor, the poor, the poor got. And of course we see that going playing out in history today, but none of the people looking out in the world realize that you're following the same path in history that has gone on time and time and time again. Can you expect the grace of God if you do not show the grace to others? Your greedy hearts are bringing you to destruction. So let's go on to... 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which the first part of which I entitle, Ye are, ye are our epistle. Ye are our letter. It says, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, a letter of commendation from you? Ye are the epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. What's he talking about? Uh, recently we've been talking about composing a letter of determination to that we would give out to new ministers. Now one of the, the criteria of recognizing the existence of the church in the mind of some is do you have schools and courses that people have to take in order to train up your ministers and the people in your congregations. Well, did Jesus, did he have schools? <laughs> did he have courses? Well, of course, the gospel is all about him training up the disciples. I mean, even calling them disciples or calling them students. But they were in the midst of an on-the-job training. Now, obviously, Christ did teach his disciples something more than you see in the parables because we see a whole dissertation about in conversation between the apostles and Jesus where he says, why do you always talk to the people in parables? And he says, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but it's not given unto them to know. So yeah, there are lessons that we need to share with ministers that we may not share with the general public. We have another book that isn't online. And it isn't even given out to all the ministers. And it isn't even completed yet. Because we're still filling in a lot of the blanks. Yeah, the, so when a minister starts being a minister with us, he is a minister because the people look out amongst themselves and they pick somebody they trust and they say, this is, this is a minister. We trust. And this is the, they give him license to minister to them. And now he can receive their contributions put them in a lockbox, put, put them in an account, and then use those to help the people out when they need help. Of course, he can't just focus on his congregation. He has to think about the kingdom, because it's a kingdom that was preached, not individual congregations. Those individual congregations are a part of the body of Christ, each one doing its own thing. But each one must be also casting the spread upon the waters and caring about others. Most people haven't really understood that. They don't really have a good picture of that yet. But the, in the meantime, we recognize them as a minister. And 
we may give them a letter of determination that says, you know, we recognize that you have been licensed to minister to these people. Are you really a minister of Christ? Well, we will find that out the same as Jesus found that out with his apostles. He had a lot of people following him. But there were only 12 apostles. And all of them didn't seem to cut muster. So, we have to be the same as Christ. So, are they learning the lesson? Well, the only way we know is trial by fire, by what they do. If they don't do what Christ said they should do, what we have agreed upon keeping our word, or what we agreed upon doing, then we would withdraw our letter of determination. And we'd say, well, now we've determined that you aren't really following the gospel of Christ. You're a nice guy, but you're not following the gospel of Christ. You're not doing what he said. I'm sure there were a lot of nice guys that were still workers of iniquity, still looking to men who exercise authority to provide them with their social welfare, their retirement, their their health care, their whatever. And they weren't even telling other people that this is not the way of Christ because they might lose congregate members. I've seen this time and time again amongst ministers of the world. You know, ministers of the fake church. That they don't, they, they admit that we should be living by faith, hope, and charity, but they can't deliver the true gospel of Christ because everybody will leave. Jesus did. He said, unless you drink my blood, in other words, do it the way I'm doing it, through faith, hope, and charity, and eat my flesh through faith, hope, and charity, can't be taking the benefits of the world and the eating at the table of God. You can't serve mammon and God at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. People left them in droves. And of course, that's what we would get if we were going around raising the dead and healing people. There would be all kinds of people following us. But when we said, no, you have to live by faith, hope, and charity alone, which is the blood and and flesh of Christ, you have to live by forgiveness. You have to forgive what you paid in. You paid in all these years to this social welfare system, which we know is bankrupt. They tell you it's bankrupt. But you still want to get the benefits. You have to forgive that and say, okay, I, I won't take any of those benefits. I'm going to continue to live by faith, hope, and charity. And I'm 65. I'm 70. I'm going to depend upon faith, hope, and charity and not do that. Can you do that? Would you be willing to do that? Or would you leave like all those people who left Christ? Because you don't really want to live by the blood and flesh of Christ. You want to live by the blood and flesh of your neighbor. And the children of your neighbor who will have to pay in so that you can get that check every month. Now, that's that's a big choice, and I'm just saying turn around your thinking and start heading the other way. I don't know when you're going to come face to face with the evil of this world and have to make these big choices because it's individual deals. Just like Paul. I want you to be led by the Spirit, not by some doctrine that you've imagined I'm pressing. I'm pressing Christ. And Christ is a spirit that must dwell in you. And I'm saying he will not dwell in you if you're not forgiving, if you're not giving, if you're not willing to lay down your ego and stop eating of the tree of knowledge and allow yourself to fast from the tree of knowledge long enough to eat of the spirit of Christ. He says, ye are 
our epistles. And of course, and I've talked about this, we have records that we can show the world and everything, but until you start actually doing what the Corinthians were doing, you're not my epistle. I hope that you will become my epistle, my letter to the world, when you actually start doing what Christ said to do. And some of you I know are, but I'm talking to a general radio and podcast listeners. Are you doing what Christ said, or are you wanting to believe in the knowledge, your vain knowledge, of the gospel? Are you going to live the gospel? For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to God word. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Because I can't give you any guarantees. I'm just saying, and and that's not my job to give you guarantees. I'm just saying, you have to follow what Christ was actually saying. Which is why I started with this section on the daily ministration at the beginning. Because... Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. We we won't be able to handle what's going to come and, and that we, we will face and our children will face. We There is no strategy that will guarantee that. We, are, we know God is sufficient and God will make the increase. But we need to be following the ways of Christ. We need to be going that way. And it's an individual, day-to-day, moment-to-moment choice, in the moment. The kingdom of God is not only within you, but it's within you in the moment. Verse 6, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So, that's, that's something that we heard Christ say. You know, that's, that's, that's a message as, so it isn't that you're going to study all this, figure this out, create a plan of action, although we've done somewhat of that, but I'm emphasizing that it has to be the Spirit dwelling in you. When you make a mistake, when you do the wrong thing, uh, when you get yourself into trouble by doing the wrong thing, when you hurt others by doing the wrong thing, that's evidence to you that you're not really walking in the Spirit yet. You can receive that information with humility, repent with that humble heart and say, God, you must guide me. I cannot guide myself. You must write upon my heart and upon my mind because I cannot figure it out by eating of the tree of knowledge. I have injured others. I have hurt others. I have put others in distress. I need to repent of my vanity and you need to guide me. I don't need to get smarter. I need to have the wisdom of God in me. So can we go there? And of course we'll go on with verse 7 when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So 
You can go look that up and be ready. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So what's he talking about? This That word ministration is the same word we see in daily ministration. It's also translated minister. Because the, and what was the, how was the early church ministering? Well, it was meeting daily in the temple. Rightly dividing the bread from house to house. What bread was it dividing? Well, the, the people were contributing to the ministers of Christ. And the ministers of Christ were able to provide the necessary welfare in pure religion to all those people who were cast out of the welfare system of the Pharisees because they got the baptism of Christ. The same as when the people of Israel were cast out of Egypt, they needed the baptism at Mount Sinai, but they also were given a law, what we call law, the commandments, which actually doesn't mean law. Torah means law. The word commandments has to do with the guidepost, showing you the way. And of course, Christianity was called the way. One of the characteristics of those way is thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor. It doesn't say thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's unless you do it through men who exercise authority, through the rulers of the Gentiles, the rulers of the nations. Then you get to covet thy neighbor's goods as long as you do it through democratic socialism. No, you can't covet your neighbor's goods or you are off of the way. You've gone out of the way. But the reality today is that 90% of all the needs of old people and sick people and welfare people and, you know, who claim to be Christian is taken care of by the administration of those who exercise authority one over the other. That, that word ministration, like I said, is the same word we see in daily ministration, uh, in, in Acts. But the word death, now, there's an interesting word. He said, the ministration of death. What is the ministration of death compared to the ministration of righteousness? Well, the, the Greek word, I, I actually think it's kind of funny. The Greek word for death is thanatos. It's like Thanos. <laughs> that's, a, that's the guy who exercises authority. He's going to make everybody do what's right. That's the tyrant in us all, where we want, you know, how do tyrants come to power? Little tyrants elect them. How do zombies get elected? Little zombies elect them. <laughs> so, the ministration of death is the ministration that is opposed to the ministration of righteousness. This is what the early church was doing. It was the ministration of righteousness. It was practicing pure religion. Those that had shared with those that did not have enough. 
and they picked ministers to do that. That was what Christianity was. That was what ran into conflict with the ministration of death, which was the ministration of the world. Today, the ministration of the world is taking care of all the needy, and we got a few churches going around taking care of, you know, we'll take care of some poor people in Mexico, because that's really cheap to do, because it doesn't take much money, and then all of a sudden you feel good because I helped out this poor person. And I'm not saying it's wrong to help out that poor person, but it's wrong to think that you're seeking the kingdom by doing that. Unless you're seeking to take care of all the social welfare in your congregations and congregations of congregations. As we see the world going more and more towards the socialist state, we're also seeing them, you know, like in all 50 states, there are laws that require vaccinations. And I just posted, you know, somebody was saying that the that the ethyl mercury that are in vaccinations is harmless and it's non-toxic and it's out of the body in seven days and all this stuff. And all that is total misquoting of the actual studies. And so I put up on our webpage on vaccinations actual studies and links to actual studies where you can go and actually read the studies. Ethyl mercury is toxic. It has a half uh, life in the blood of 7 to 10 days. That means that after 10 days, you still may have half of it in your blood. But that has nothing to do with the, the stuff that's in your tissues. (laughs) And see, it goes on, the same study goes on to tell you that the tissues may contain even larger percentage of mercury, inorganic mercury, ethyl mercury is an inorganic mercury. And that mercury, because I mean it was injected into you, that mercury may be accumulating in in the tissues, like brain tissue, at a greater rate and may remain for more than a year. So... The guy that, and, and the further studies that I connected to on our webpage at Preparing You on Vaccines shows, I mean, I'm showing their studies, CDC studies, you know, from peer-reviewed studies. And they're saying that ethylmercury is toxic and may be associated with the increase of Alzheimer's in the elderly. And so that guy read some propaganda and he thinks he knows what he's talking about. He hasn't read the studies. I went and read the studies. You know, the the reality is is that, uh, but see, I also read history. And so I know more about what to expect in the future because I read more about the past. But the key is the Holy Spirit. And the fact is, is he probably have not changed his view on vaccinations. And I don't want to change his view on vaccinations. I want to change his view on the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will guide you to the information you need. But you don't eat from the tree of knowledge. You eat from the tree of life. From the Holy Spirit. So anyway, the ministration of Thanos... (laughs) The ministration of unrighteousness forces the contributions of the people and therefore makes the word of God to none effect, while the ministration of righteousness operates by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. I can't make it much clearer than that, but we will try as we continue through this. So, the fact is, you can do the, you can take care of the needy of your society better through faith, open charity than you can through force, fear, and violence. That will make the kingdom of God, great again. 
if you do it the, the way God said to do it. But if you continue to do it the way Thanos, you know, the God of death does, the God of covetousness, the God of taking away, the, the God of false love, then you'll be in a lot more trouble. I mean, even this word glory, we see in that, that verse where they, they talk about uh, uh, glorious and then, uh, let's see how many d- different ways they put it. Actually, you find the word in several verses there down into eight. But that that word, glory, is dox or doxa in the Greek. And it actually, the definition is an opinion, a judgment, a view. What is your view of righteousness? What is your view of a daily ministration? One that a force? See, that's the thing is, the social justice warrior thinks that, yeah, force is the way to go because he's that little tyrant and he's going to elect because you have more and more of these people coming up to that age now because you haven't been educating your children. You've allowed evil to educate your children. They don't understand the evils of that. And they're actually being seduced into a spirit of evil. And so what what's happening? Is that they, their opinion and judgment that it is okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And that's a bad thing. So, like I said in, in verse, uh, nine, it says, for if the administration of condemnation, the administration of Thanos is so successful, glory, has this opinion and, uh, and, and production, of care. Much more doth the ministration of righteousness succeed in glory. But you haven't tried it yet. So you're not going to see it succeeding until you try it. And why haven't you tried it? Because you don't really have faith in it. You're not really willing to walk in that. And that's kind of scary to step out of the boat. And I'm not telling you to step out of the boat. He, Jesus didn't tell all the apostles to step out of the boat. He just put his hand out for Peter to step out of the boat and then he had to pull Peter up out of the water. So the reality is that we are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. But this is an individual choice and an individual walk. So when you step, I will leave that to you. But that walking according to the ways of Christ looks like what Christ did in the early church. In verse 10, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Now again, he's talking to people that are actually taking care of the needy of their society through faith, open charity. They're not talking, he's not talking to people that are just running around claiming to be free. He's talking about people that have actually taken on the responsibility of righteousness. They are the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, but through faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Well, that's what I've been using and telling you very plainly. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of which is abolished. 
So he didn't tell them, he didn't share everything with them. And of course, Christ didn't share everything through the, through the uh, parables. Because he said, it's given unto you to know. But he did share everything with the apostles. So even as blunt as I am, as plain as my speech is, I'm not sharing everything with you. I'm hinting at it. Because I want you to discover the Holy Spirit. And if I told you exactly what you should be doing and how you should be doing it all the time, then you could imitate it. I might have difficulty seeing when you're not really doing what Christ said. But uh, it's, it's just the way that Christ wants me to deliver this message. And it's time that you actually do that repenting, gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and start taking care of one another, and start picking ministers and testing them, the same as God is testing you. Verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. It says in the Old Testament, free will offerings. It says gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to love one another as I have loved you. To love thy neighbor as I have loved you. To give drink to the enemy. That Old Testament is telling you all these things. But if you do not have, if you've been blinded and cannot see it, you will think that the Old Testament God is about vengeance. But the Old Testament God said, the vengeance is mine. You're not to judge your neighbor. Eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. That's ceiling limits. You can't take away a man's house because he burned down your garage. What you're seeing out in the world, I just saw a report today of a lady whose son was stabbed in an open public square by a guy who wrote and rapped about killing and cutting somebody, stabbing somebody. And then did it and then wrote songs about it, rap about it. But the prosecuting attorney had the charges reduced so that he walks free. He just stabbed a guy on the street. He claimed that he had said something, but there were all kinds of other people around and none of them heard him say it. But he predicted that he was going to do this and planned it out and did it. But now he walks free. Because... Your social justice warrior is not really seeking justice. You should be social mercy warriors. <laughs> seeking mercy for others so that you may have mercy. This is predicting that you're going to have mob and mayhem in the streets. People killing one another. You're unleashing a demonic spirit in the world. And the rulers you have and the people you've chosen and empowered... They're going to bring this about. But really, it's your unrepentant hearts that are bringing it about. If you repent and stop trying to judge and stop trying to not forgive and start forgiving and leaving judgment to God and start taking care of one another and helping one another, you will set in motion the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, which is what Paul was just saying, will make the difference. You're not going to be able to do it. You're outnumbered. But with God, numbers don't matter. Verse 15. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. 
And this is why I say, you know, that the the Old Testament had the same message as Christ. People hear me say that. Oh, no, it changed with Christ. The message changed. No, you didn't read it. (laughs) You didn't see it. You were blinded when you read the Old Testament. If you do not see that the Old Testament message is the same as the New Testament message, that God is the same yesterday as today, you probably didn't get the Old Testament. You And you still don't get the Old Testament. You may still not even get the New Testament. Because the message was the same. You're to live by free will offerings, faith, hope, and charity. Not force, fear, and violence. That's the message. You should leave judgment to God and pray for mercy. That that these that messages are in both those texts, but your image of the Old Testament is a false image, created by the same people that created the false image of Christ and Christianity and of the Church. So, nevertheless, when it is, it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. If you And you should see that if you really come towards Christ. Unfortunately, like a lot of Messianic Jews, they don't see the Old Testament. They don't see the New Testament. They don't see the real, I'm not saying all, but many of them. Because they're going around counting days. And and the New Testament even says that you, you worry me that my, my teaching is in vain because you're counting days. It's not, it's a, it's a different spirit. You have to live of that spirit and it will awaken you more and more and more. You're not ever awoke. You're in a process of awakening. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the Lord. That's what's going to make you see. Not my teachings. And that, that's what you need to see. Is that it is the Spirit of God that's going to awaken you. I'm just pointing out that you ain't awake now. That you need to constantly be awakening, not only to some doctrinal issues, but in a daily ministration, in a daily walk. So you know, do I go to Macedonia? <laughs> do I go do I go here? Do I go there? Do I go to Summer Lake? Do I go to uh, uh Soldiers Grove? Do I go to Florida? Do I go to Maine? Do I go to Vermont? Do I go to LA? Where do you go? Where do you go when you are in LA? I can I don't know these things, but the Holy Spirit can guide you. But one of the ways to increase the house of the Holy Spirit in your heart where the Holy Spirit may enter is to start caring about others so that God will hear you and God will answer your prayers. You have to hear the prayers of others. In order to hear the prayers of others you must sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Therefore seeing we have and now we're in the chapter uh, 4 and we'll just enter into it. We, We don't have a lot of time left but we'll enter into it. Therefore seeing we have the ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but 
by manifestation of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we allow you to contribute according to the leading of your own conscience, which we talked about earlier. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, and that's the gods of this world, it should probably read, the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The people of the world, only about 5% of the Roman Empire were Christians. So, it's a very small number of people that might actually start following the ways of Christ. Now, many of the, the people of the world did not persecute the Christians and saw honor in the Christians, actually protected Christians. But they were not, they did not become Christians themselves. Christ talks about these people in his parable about as many as you do unto these my brethren, you do also unto me. So many people will be condemned and will not receive the grace of God in life. I mean, bad things will happen to them because God will not protect them because they hated those who were actually following the ways of Christ. And they warred against them. They put them in prison. They, uh, you know, persecuted them. They, uh, they neglected them. But other people who are not even really Christians but saw something in those people, went and blessed them, gave them drink when they were hungry, food when, you know, they uh, drink when they were thirsty, and food when they were hungry, visited them when they were in prison, etc. They will be blessed because of what they did to the brethren of Christ. They are not necessarily the brethren of Christ, but because of what they do. So that's going to be part of the process. Now how that all unfolds, I don't know. That'll be on an individual basis. But this is, this is kind of what Paul is talking about. But many of the people are blinded. They are, they do not see the danger coming. They do not see destruction coming. They do not know where to turn. Should they go to Macedonia? Should they do Brexit? They don't know. They wouldn't even know how to vote. If they were given a vote. Because they're blind. And they are led by blind guides. Now, there are billions of people in the world, so there's billions of different scenarios of the same principle. So, there's no way I'm I'm putting a blanket out there for everybody. But the reality is, if you don't care about others, don't expect God to care about you. If you don't forgive others, if you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. Christ said that. That's the teachings of Christ. You love Christ, then you have to love that teaching. You have to accept that teaching. You, I'm often told by ministers that you're forgiven because you just think this thought, that you love Jesus, but you don't even know who Jesus is. You don't know what he was teaching. You don't know what he was preaching. You're not doing what he said. You're not keeping his commandments. And so, therefore, no. That uh, doesn't work for you. It's not going to work for you. And I need to rebuke you because of what you're doing and thinking, because you're not only headed to condemnation, you're leading others to condemnation with your false gospel. 
But he says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Because we're telling you right out. You don't get it, you don't get it. And and this is important for you to understand for your sake and for Jesus' sake. He's, he tells you this later on in Second Corinthians 4. But we'll have to save that for another time because we're out of time again. Join the network. Join congregations as close to you geographically as you can. Go to hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com and we'll see you there. God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.